Hi there, and welcome to The Works. I'm Ben Shea. And I'm Ben Pelletier. Music is everywhere, and not only in dedicated music venues such as concert halls. We'll be introducing you to two Hong Kong establishments that don't just treat music as something to be played in the background while you eat your meal and drink your coffee, but as highlight events. Not only does music turn up in all kinds of venues, there isn't a country or place in the world without some kind of musical tradition. You may be slightly familiar with indie music from Iceland if you know the songs of Björk or Sigurós, but we'll be introducing you to another Icelandic band, Moon. In visual art, five Cambodian artists give us a look into the way that their countries, past and present, merge and interact with the exhibition Site Cambodia. But before all that, the Shoney Art Gallery was launched by Manfred Shoney in 1992. In the 20 years since then, it's been a fervent supporter of contemporary Chinese art and artists, and has expanded into three gallery spaces. Soon though, it'll be closing its doors, at least for a while. I recently announced um, that I'm going to be taking a break from the gallery business. It was very much a personal decision. It was a very difficult one. But I realized that you know, given what happened to my father when he left suddenly, that life is very unpredictable and I should pursue other priorities in my life. I've been joking with my artists that actually now I can spend more quality time because usually when I go, when I'm running the gallery, it's very short trips and it's really very much work focused. Uh, but now I can actually spend time with them and really learn more from them. The owner of the Shoney Gallery, Nicole Shoney, learned the art stealing business at her father's knee. Manfred Shoney opened his gallery in 1992 and dedicated it to presenting and promoting the work of up-and-coming artists, particularly from mainland China. Nicole accompanied him on many of his trips. Actually, since the age of about nine, I began to travel with my dad to China. Um, actually, not just China, also Russia as well and in Europe and we would go and visit all the artist studios. Of course, I was quite young at the time, so I, I kind of took it for granted, but it was already an experience which planted the seed and the love of art, uh, and also the understanding of how hard my father worked. That was actually his main motive, was for me to meet the artists and also see how hard that it was. <laughs> I went to many with him. Um, for example, in, in China, we went to visit Yeoman Jin um, in his studio and we had a lot of fun. He had some bronze sculptures at the time and my father and I had a lot of fun posing with them and, you know, playing around, if you like, in his studio. For Nicole, much changed after the murder of her father in Boracay in 2004. She took over the gallery two days after the tragedy and has been running it for the past nine years. The business grew, expanding into three exhibition spaces in the Soho area, the main gallery on Old Bailey Street, another on Hollywood Road, and a third on Chancery Lane. The artists that the gallery represented have gone from struggling artists to world-renowned names. In the 1990s, Chinese contemporary art was very much under the radar. Um, it was very underground at the time and my father met many artists who were actually struggling and didn't have much exposure because there was no infrastructure in China. And so he helped a lot of them to hold exhibitions here in Hong Kong. He also introduced them to curators and museums overseas. So, you know, artists like Yuan Jin, uh, Yang Xiaobin, Zeng Fanzhi, uh, Qi Zhilong, many of those artists he helped to sort of nurture their market. 
Not only have the gallery's own artists risen to prominence, more new international galleries have come to Hong Kong, and the city has taken on a bigger profile on the international art scene. It's an exciting time in the world of arts dealing, but despite that, Nicole says she has no regrets about taking a break at this point. She says she needs to reinvigorate herself and learn more about art and the world in which she lives. She's also getting married this year and wants to take time out for her new family. There is a lot happening at the moment. I do think it's very exciting times, but it's not necessary to be involved through a gallery. The commercial side of the art world in Hong Kong has always been the main emphasis, but I do feel that there can be a rebalance between more cultural aspects、um, and education about art on a very grassroots level. Everyone, our collectors, our artists—they've all been very understanding.、Um, of course, there's a lot of sort of sadness because they feel it's an end to a legacy,、uh, an end to an institution. But I try stress that I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, and it's really not the end. Nicole says she's also planning to devote herself more to charitable and non-profit making art projects. She says that even if the gallery is no longer in business, people will still be able to keep up with her activities through the Shoni Arts Gallery's Facebook page and its official website. There's really not much doubt that internationally, the world of pop music is dominated by music from America and the United Kingdom. Artists from all over the planet look to those countries for inspiration and ideas, and it's often only when music from other places, such as Africa, is publicized within those countries that the rest of the world begins to pay attention to it. The common language of English is one reason. Outside of those countries, Sweden has often broken into the commercial pop scene with bands such as ABBA, Europe, Roxette, and the Cardigans. Less commercial, more indie in spirit are the breakthrough musicians of Iceland, such as Björk, Sigurós, and Moon. Like many countries, Iceland has a thriving commercial pop music scene, but it's the strength of its indie music scene that has produced the most internationally visible musicians. Björk was the first to arrive outside of Iceland. In 1999, with their second album, Algatis Birion. Sigur Rós scored an international success, getting around the language problem by inventing and performing in their own language. Also part of the indie scene, Moom was founded by Gunnar Orn Times and Orvas Marason in 1997, and perhaps should hardly be called a band. It's more of a music collective in which new members take part as needed. They say they don't really have a defined musical direction. They want to leave space to discover new things. And we come from a community of musicians in Iceland who think in a similar way as us. We've never had strict ideas about if it's supposed to be a band or something else. It's it's mostly about the music anyway. When we started the band, there was only two of us. First thing we wanted to do is just to make electronic music, so we bought some synthesizers. And when we had that. We wanted to make ourselves feel good, you know, make ourselves enjoy the music, and to enjoy the music constantly through the years. We've had to, you know, do different things, play around, and go to like places like the lighthouse where we feel really natural about just making music. Most important thing is just surprising ourselves.
Moon creates music that combines folk and dream pop elements and accompanies them with underlying electronic melodies. To add to the peaceful atmosphere, the members of Moon try to avoid studio recording, instead making special trips to calm environments, places like lighthouses, schools, or an empty observatory. There's beautiful places all over the world, and I think if you're able to enjoy the beauty of the place you live in, uh, you will be more creative. And I think maybe that's come easy for us, but I think there's beauty everywhere in the world. People just need to open their eyes to it. Uh, for instance, when we're standing out here in Hong Kong, and I can hear the cars, I can hear the wind, and I can hear the birds, and uh, sometimes the music is just like that, just like... It's, it all sounds like a river. Icelandic musicians get a lot of uh, inspiration from each other. And I think what is most important that Icelandic musicians have an attitude of being open, you know, and being friends. There's no sense of competition between Icelandic bands. It's just a perfect creative atmosphere. Cambodia is a country of contrast and change. Visit and you will likely quickly be overwhelmed by the ancient traditions of the Khmer culture, appalled by the evils of the Khmer Rouge and their contrast to the soft-spoken and gentle people you most often meet, and both excited and concerned by how quickly Cambodia is developing and taking on more global characteristics. At the Karen Weber Gallery, an exhibition called Site Cambodia, featuring works by artists Mao Soviet, Anita Yoy Ali, Sarah, Kim Hak, and Shrey Bandal, shows how they try to resolve some of these contradictions and the effect they have on specific sites. <laughs> I decided to call it Site Cambodia because um, as I was looking around at what the artists were producing, um, each artist had a different relationship to Cambodia, um, whether it be about the history of Cambodia, about how it affected their identity, how contemporary politics and um, the environment um, that people are living in is changing right now, particularly with development around the physical side of Cambodia. There's a, a sort of richer story. Um, uh, people often think of yeah, the Khmer Rouge period and the Angkorian period, um, but uh, in today's society there's uh, a lot of development um, and there's a growing uh, middle class and uh, people, or artists that I'm working with are interested to, as to who's benefiting from that development. So reaching into um, communities that have been displaced recently. 
with Anita's work, um, she's an American uh, Cambodian woman and grew up in Chicago and now returning, she's returning to these different sites um, that have changed and, and also kind of uh, trying to come to terms with it being an insider and also an outsider in the world. With Sarah, he's, he's quite interesting because he is quite attracted to the old kind of mythology of Cambodia around the temples, around um, the sculpture and the old artisan traditions. Um, but there's a sense of uh, melancholy and loss that you see in his work. So Sray Bondol's work um, is part of a larger uh, exhibition called uh, Digestion. Uh, and in the larger exhibition there was a 25 metre intestine using the fabric um, of cloth that protects the body, so mosquito netting, uh, sarongs. Um, and what he was looking at is how, uh, at the outside influences that are coming into Cambodia, how uh, people are digesting those cultural and political influences. How do we, we digest that? <laughs> Get into a cab, you hear music. Walk into a supermarket, you hear music. Sit down for a cup of coffee, music is there too. There's not much we do where we don't ever listen to it. Often it's just there in the background, but some of Hong Kong's eating establishments, while not fully-fledged music venues, do like to present music as something more than background noise. Terrace the area around Po Hing Fong, west of Soho, has become a burgeoning centre for art galleries and small cafes. Plantation describes itself as a space for creative and social events. Music is often on the menu here. Recently, Plantation launched a series of acoustic musical events on Saturday afternoons, open to both local and overseas musicians. When I studied in Melbourne, I wanted to put some idea that had all the warm instruments. And uh, so I played French horn and flugelhorn, which you saw today, and also, also trumpet, not that, not that dulcet. So dulcet tones means um, nice sounding and, and warm and pretty sounds. I 
think we do like to sort of feed off of the crowd and sort of what, what the venue feels like and what, you know, what kind of, you know, who's watching us and, and sort of, I, I think it's more organic if we, if we do it that way, so I think mm. we, we try to. <laughs> We're trying to push the organic thing more and more um, with the new, newer songs that we are adding with uh, a lot more freer arrangements. The difference is in the way that you know your your audience is listening. Um, when we're playing a small venue, it's so quiet and everyone's just really really engaged and listening and if it's a larger venue you know people sort of feel a bit removed from the music and so if they're in the back of the room they start talking and it, it becomes a completely different feeling. Venues like Plantation are neither standard restaurants where the music is there to provide background noise, nor fully-fledged music venues. But they are spaces in which music can draw attention. In Mongkok, a radically different location than Songwan is Full Cup Cafe, which began featuring live shows just two years ago. Funming 很酷似,大家好像朋友一樣,我們坐在一起,逼到他們一個地步,我要很尊重我的手,很乖,很準時 Like you're telling a story mm. in a space like this, whereas um, in larger, um, like a sort of rock venues, you feel like it, it's, a, it's a performance and you need to keep people's energy up. So the the sort of songs that we do tend to be a lot more high, higher in energy. But here we're able to really mix it up with um, 
quite sort of slow um, emotional songs as well as high en energy songs. It's sort of like more like a listening room here, so it's really um, a lot more intimate. People are very close here, and it's a lot like it's a lot. Everyone's very quiet, and so you can kind of um, tell stories and take people on more of a journey in a place like this, which is really nice. 好近個樂手或者 artist 咁樣，好 close 佢哋。佢哋可以 break 嗰時咧出嚟飲下咖啡啊、傾偈啊，即係好親切嘅交流咁樣。我哋都相信幫助咗多啲生態，而我哋都覺得多咗好多 live house 出現，我哋好開心咯。因為其實係唔可以我哋自己獨家話啊，你哋贏曬啦，冇呢件事，係大家一齊做先至好咯。